You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Blue and orange, blue and orange, blue and orange. First down, first score, first place, first the roar. Blue and orange, blue and orange, blue and orange, blue and orange. First down, first score. What's going on, everybody? And welcome back to Rule of Three. As me, Danny Meehan, I'm Robert Schmitz, by the way, and Brandon Robinson are going to be rolling through our thoughts on this Bears-Buccaneers game. And I'll tell you what, guys, this one was awesome. We all talked about it after the Colts game. This was a likely loss, and we didn't lose. Not only did we not lose, but we got a pretty gritty display of not only what this team can do on offense and defense, but also just how their coaching staff works. As Matt Nagy put on a pretty doggone good game, and Chuck Pagano in particular, I was really, really impressed with what he did on the defensive end. But I don't want to get out ahead of myself, so I'll turn it over to you guys. I thought this game was a lot of fun, but do y'all have any uh, initial thoughts to kick off the show with? I mean, I mean, how can you not walk away from this game, at the very least, happy if not surprised? Because I know that that Colts game really took a lot out of the the proverbial win from the sales, as it were, where you're you're rolling a little bit, you're three and zero, you get punched in the mouth repeatedly by that Colts team on both sides of the trenches, and then you're like, God, now you got short week against Tampa Bay and Tom Brady, and just you're just not looking forward to it and then all of a sudden you start seeing the injuries pile up before the game for the Buccaneers and you start feeling a little bit better about it and then you look into Thursday night football teams at home typically win on short weeks when the traveling team is coming in whatever it's it felt like a culmination of everything and it was really nice especially with how the game started out with them going up a quick 13 nothing and you're just like oh here we go again especially because the middle of the field, the very, the first part of the first half was just wide open and everybody was catching the football over the middle of the field. But obviously all things came to a head. The Bears took the lead, didn't relinquish it, and they walked left Soldier Field victorious. Yes, they did. And that 4-1, and one, like we've said with every other Bears win so far, is going to come in huge at the end of the they season. Now have just an- know it will they now have an 85% chance of making the postseason. I mean, hey, that's pretty nice for a coach in now his third year. That's a good number. Brandon, any high-level takeaways from you? I was just really impressed with the defense. Obviously, everybody knows the the defense is good, but when the offense is just going three and out, three and out, three and out, that really stresses the defense. And it just seemed like they were getting all of the stops they needed. Cleo Mack had – I don't want to say the game of his life because he's just had – he's had so many games like this, but he just had one of those Cleo Mack type games where he just completely wrecks an offense. And, I mean, he just took Tristan Wurst to – he, he, he took him to the can multiple, multiple times. <laughs> you, saw, you saw Tom Brady just get incredibly frustrated. And what I, what I really liked was Matt Nagy not really – get totally frustrated with the offense and just kind of let kind of let it almost develop as the game went on because they kept using the heavy personnel at the beginning of the game which means they're using a lot of tight ends but then as the game went on they were lighter in personnel we're using 11 personnel which is three wide receivers instead of three two tight ends and that's when you saw the offense start moving along you saw a lot of screens to Dave Montgomery and uh, uh, Cordell Patterson that really were the difference in the game. Obviously, Allen Robinson had another one of his good games. He's having a spectacular year. I think it's I think the Allen Robinson stat is this is the first time he's ever started every game with like 90-plus receiving yards or something like that. Mm-hmm. He's having the best start of a, 
season to his career saying that the touchdown number when he had like, I think 15 that one year in Jacksonville before the year before he blew his knee out. And here's something that I think is really cool about that is that Allen Robinson, just to pick on social media for a second, tweeted after the game, I'm going to be better. No cap. Meaning I'm not lying about it. And there's I find nothing that, I love more than that. First of all, Yes. What I loved about this game is, and I'll talk in a second about the interplay between the offense and the defense, because I think there was a lot to learn there, but the Bears came away from this game clearly frustrated with themselves. I've never seen Matt Nagy so mad as he, as when he came into Friday's press conference after a huge win against a team that they weren't favored to beat. And he was hopping mad. And I'll tell you what, like, now getting back to the interplay between the defense and the offense, you could tell that this Tampa Bay offense was moving the ball well, and they were doing it primarily because of good execution. Like we could talk about defensive mistakes here and there, but they were just making good plays. And when an offense makes good plays, there's not a lot of defense can do. There are holes in every defense. And if the offense finds them, it's just kudos to them. But what really struck me was this offense could have probably had 14 points in its first two drives, three drives, but they had execution issues that bit them on the ankles the entire first quarter at minimum, if not the first quarter and a half. And that's something that I came away with super positive about. These things are fixable. You've got to hope that with an offensive mind like Matt Nagy and the offensive coaching staff that he's assembled, that by the middle of the season, they should have this thing quality controlled a little bit and at least are able to put their best foot forward. And when they did start scoring, the defense responded and they started playing with new energy, new life, and started making more plays on every aspect of the field, run game, pass game, deep pass game, and everything therein. I felt like not just the win, there was a lot of positivity to come away from this game with, even though it was kind of a sloppy battle in the mud. Did y'all see the same thing? I mean, it's hard to disagree with you in that regard, just because, um, like I said, like just of how the win happened, it was a sloppy game, but it made you feel so much better that they beat a legit team, especially in the NFC stacking conference wins matters. We always hear about people talk about divisional games or, or when's the Packer game or the Lions game, whatever it might be. Winning in the NFC matters, especially when you have the extra playoff team this year. You have to keep everything in mind when you're doing this. And to what Brandon kind of brought up, it was almost like when Khalil Mack had this game, it was like almost a sigh of relief where you're just like, oh, he can still do that, where he can just ruin a game. Because it felt like, it. in all reality, it probably hasn't been that long since he's been a game wrecker or wrecked a game and you can physically see everything that he's doing. But he, he did it. And it was like, Oh, there it is. Oh my God. And it just, it almost like you felt better about it because you physically could see the, the end result of when he's pushing Tom Brady on the chest as he's getting up and Brady just like rolls his eyes. Like, Oh my God, it's you again. Go away. (laughs) So that that was my biggest takeaway. It's hard to not leave that game feeling just not cloud nine because there's still a lot of work to be done as Negi was harping on the details. The offense is all about details, 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 details. And it was almost a night and day difference when you compare that to when – and I'm not trying to like rag on when Mitch was the quarterback, but he would never have done that when Mitch was the quarterback. Ever. It certainly seems that way, right? Like, how can you, you can't, you can't tell me that because he never did it. This is always the exact opposite. He was stupidly positive. Like, I don't mean stupidly as in he's stupid for being positive. Being positive is great, but he was, no, he was always Mr. as high as he could be when Mitch was the quarterback. And you do have to wonder whether the quarterback partially led to a, a good, I think, change in attitude. I think it it's reminded also- me of Herb Brooks. I wonder if it make if it's also because Nick has just such a superior understanding of the offense, having been in it in in Philly, in Kansas City with Nagy in both spots. Those guys know each other. This isn't like a new quarterback, and we also know that just by virtue of how Nick Foles has played football and his battle with mental health throughout his career, he's not. Soft. You can say things like that to him, and he's not going to take it personally. 
Well, that's one of my favorite things about this, right? It's like, and I'm not saying that this wasn't the case for Mitch because it can sound like we're making the comparison, but you know that when Nick Foles missed Darnell Mooney down the field, he was the first one to get upset about it. And I'm curious to hear what you all think because when I watch that play in particular, I can't tell who's wrong. It kind of just seems like the receiver and the quarterback are not on the same page because if Mooney runs the corner route at the common 45-degree angle, and remember, Bears fans, that's where the receiver runs forward and then they, they cut to the corner. It's called, what is it, an eight? It's not a seven. The seven's a – no, it, it is a seven. The eight is a post. Anyways, uh, getting sidetracked there. The point is, is that Mooney ran his angle at roughly like a 20 degree cut instead of a 45 degree cut. And Mooney got deeper. So he would have been right in the end zone when he caught the ball, but he didn't get it because he and Foles were not on the same page. Either way, that's something that absolutely has to be fixed. And you got to think Nagy was just fuming because when you lose seven points and they ended up punting the ball away, so they did lose seven points against a team like the Buccaneers, you're going to have to scrap to make up that difference in the game plan because you were really expecting to get a touchdown there. And you, you can't just use that play again, you know? Right. You got you to execute on your shot plays when you get them because those are the plays, I mean, you consistently look – at the top offenses in the NFL and the explosive plays are what makes a di the difference between bad offenses and good offenses. So they need to put more of these plays together to make the difference. And you can look at almost any offensive drive in the first half. And there was a clear execution issue. And one thing I thought was interesting, just talking on the game plan for a second, I found this one really wild because it felt to me like Nagy was specifically only using the run as a shield for play action passing because almost every run, almost literally every run was followed within two or three plays with a very similar formation, often a heavy set running into play action. That's how they generated their shot. That's how they generated an 18 yard completion to Allen Robinson. That's how they generated a bunch of these and kudos to them for doing it because it almost comes across like they knew that with Vita Vea and Dominic Sue on the other side of the defensive line, they weren't going to run the ball well. So just run it enough to punch them in the mouth occasionally and keep their backs off of the play action stuff so that they can go make some plays in the passing game. This was a passing game plan, and it worked a heck of a lot better than things did in Indianapolis, to say the least. But I go back and I'll highlight one play that just besides the Mooney play, besides Foles very obviously missing a wide open Allen Robinson on third and two, Clearly, those are execution. There's also littler plays that I forgot even happened, uh, like the Bears' first touchdown drive, or actually it was uh, it's the second touchdown drive right after the fabulous Kyle Fuller hit that was just, I mean, that's almost worth talking about in and of itself. But I hadn't remembered that Foles dropped a perfect touchdown pass to Jimmy Graham, and he dropped it a couple plays earlier. When I went back and rewatched the game, I was like, oh, I forgot that happened at all I thought he just lofted it up to Jimmy and he came down with it I mean there are little execution errors like that because you know it's it's a lot harder to throw two touchdowns than it is to just throw one where if the Bears can tie things up I think their offense is going to get a lot more dangerous which is bizarre to say a lot quicker because little things like if Bobby Massey holds his block in the third quarter, Foles has enough time to not move off his spot and paint the corner for Cordero Patterson. And the bears are up at that point, it would be 21 to 17. These plays make a huge difference. And I love that we're able to grind out wins. Now I love that we've got a quarterback that can check Grindy. in the plays for, da er, for David McGill. But at some point, we're going to need to be able to put the maximum points that the game plan allows. In this case, it could have been 34, 38 points onto the board and not settle for just 20. And a hard-fought 20 at that. <laughs> they earned kidding. every one of those points. I mean, it, and it's like to just kind of point out the play that went viral because of Emmanuel Acho pointing out. That was just pro quarterbacking at its finest where he, he identifies, he cuts he kills he calls a new route th throws the ball where only his guy can get it and all of a sudden you're cooking like it it seems so rudimentary because it's something that literally the top 15 quarterbacks in the nfl do on a quite literal game-to-game -game basis and we're we're having national media people point it out as to why the switch was made think about that like something that's 
just supposed to be a part of your job as a pro quarterback is being celebrated and going viral on NFL Twitter because he did his job. Well, you know, it's funny you say that because I have to point out that Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes and plenty of the other young quarterbacks like Deshaun Watson have recently gotten a lot of credit as early as a year ago for doing very similar things. Deshaun Watson, for crying out loud, has gotten a ton of media attention because he'll give decent answers when people ask about plays and people can hear Mm -hmm. how smart he is and good for them. What I think is interesting is you could make the argument that the exact reason this is getting media coverage is because they didn't get to write those articles about Mitch Trubisky, so now they're just going to write them about Nick Foles instead. Instead of talking about the development that did happen, they're talking about the development that didn't. And I really don't need to expand on that too much more. It's more like everybody was ready and prepared to write about the development of a young Mitchell Trubisky. And when it didn't happen, and now Foles comes in and does what he should have done, people go, there. That's what we're talking about. Like, that's the problem. And like you're saying, it's really positive to see in, uh, in blue and orange. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Guys, we're talking, talking to Danny Meehan and Brandon Robinson. I want to settle a little bit on play calling, defensive and offensive, because I know that was something that was really talked about after the game because Matt Nagy called a really good first half, called a terrible third quarter, and then called a pretty good fourth quarter is how the uh, the story goes. And of course, then you look at the box score and you wonder where that narrative comes from. 14 points in the second quarter, none in the third, six in the fourth. Sounds about right, doesn't it? That maybe this play calling thing, it's driven by results. So I wanted to throw it over to you guys. We'll start with you, Brandon. When you think about play calling, what are you looking at? And how do you think the coaching staff did in this week's game? Right. It's always process over result. No matter, no matter what happens, like, like the shot play to Mooney, like great play call and a great time and a great situation where you're, you're taking advantage of the Bucks' worst corner and putting yourself in a situation to succeed. And so those are the type of plays that you want to think of even if it's a bad result of Nagy's play calling, all those little dink and dunks to Cordell Patterson and Dave Montgomery, those are good plays to make it easy on foals. So I think when you think about those plays and you think about how good the Bucks defense is, they made the plays they needed to make. He called the plays he needed to call to win the game. To your point, that's a really, really good Bucks defense. And when you watch this Bears team, who I, I really do think their ceiling on offense is like 13th best in the league, like maybe a sliver above average, they were running up and down the field on them for the overwhelming majority of the game. And it was really up to the Bears execution whether or not that play would work. And not a lot of teams get into that situation. You brought this up before the show. When the Chiefs run a screen, they get 13 yards out of it, or at least about six. When the Bears run a screen, most of them fail completely. At some point, you don't look at that and you don't say, well, the Chiefs call different screens. You say, well, their personnel is better. And it makes a big difference in the play stuff. I don't appreciate the Jimmy Graham slander. Hey, I'm not here for this. You know what? Jimmy Graham has become (laughs) like up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right in the end zone, like a cheat code. And I'm here for it because if the bears ended up paying a million dollars per touchdown, it'll at least help calm me down. He has been money in the red zone. And that one-headed catch got me really excited. I'm oh, not going to lie. That, that's Channeled gonna... every bit of athleticism he had left in that body for that <laughs> catch. Every single bit of it. And I was totally jumping out of my, off my couch for it. Absolutely. And going, er, but going back to this, that was something that I thought, like when it came to play calling, Nagy did really well. He knew that his, his quarterback and his receivers were probably a better matchup than the offensive line, David Montgomery against the Bucks defensive line. And he basically just leaned on it the entire game. I, er, I thought it was really interesting to say, cause you could make the argument guys that the bears lived and died by Foles's arm on Thursday and they ended up winning. So they lived off of it. And that's a, a little bit of a change from a lot of the way that the bears have run things in the past. I'm getting a bit off track on play calling, but to point something out, I went and looked at it. The last time Mitch Trubisky threw more than 200 yards in a game without 50 rushing yards against a top five defense was never. 
And the closest he got was the 24 points that the Bears scored in 2018 against the Vikings at the end of the season, where he had an, albeit very efficient, 163 yards through the air. So Foles coming out and having a game where to pick on a play call, that one-on-one first or first and 10 where Foles threw to Allen Robinson, the jump ball that ended up being intercepted, he had tons of space out there. That's the clear, correct read. It's a good play call. And next time they throw it, I've been saying this for four weeks, Allen, you better please pay this off eventually, but he should come down with it. And if he doesn't come down with it, he should knock the ball down and it moves on to second down. That's a great potential shot play there on that first and 10 sitting at around the 40-yard line. There are, so, there are so many plays like that where I could point and I could say, that could have worked even better. That could have gone even better. And then you look at the little things like the little wheel routes, the rub route at the end, all this other stuff. Clearly, there was enough there to work, even despite execution issues. And at the end of the day... I, I kind of have started thinking about coaching play calling similar to quarterbacks where quarterbacks don't hit every throw. And if you hit 70%, that's impressive with coaches. If you walk up to the line and 70% of your play calls work, good job. You're going to have some stinkers. You're going to have some series that don't work because they came in like uh, what happened in the third quarter bears fans. In case you don't know, the Bucks were playing cover one, meaning one safety deep, and cover three, meaning three safeties deep or one safety and two corners, as sometimes happens, basically the entire game. And then they switched in the third quarter out of nowhere to a more four safety look and a, a couple other coverages that we don't need to get into, but they swapped things up and the Bears did not have any idea what to do with it. And then when Tampa Bay went away from it about two series later, the offense started clicking again. The point being here, that Nagy and the Bears consistently adjusted to what Bulls and Tampa Bay were doing, and they kept up with them outside of those two series where they just changed the game on them. And at some point, I'm going to tip my hat, and I'm going to say that's, that's good offensive coaching, and that's what we want to see out of a play caller. Yeah, I mean, it's all about in-game adjustment and adjusting what you're trying to do after your you know, what 20, 25-play script runs out. Now, I do want to touch on the, the defensive thing the defensive stuff they were doing in Tampa might have been severely altered when Vita Vea lost, lost his season or was lost for the season. He's one of the best interior presences Amazing. in the NFL. The guy is an absolute monster in the middle. It's the equivalent of the Bears losing Akeem Hicks, essentially. For their, he is to their defense what, what Hicks is to the Bears' defense on some level. So it's not like – they did it just because, like, no, he got hurt. Things have to change when guys go out. It's the nature of it. But not gonna, not gonna complain if, if she, it's what happens in football. It's gonna happen to everyone. The Bears lost James Daniels for the year that, uh, this game. That's your starting left guard. Now you're gonna be relying on Alex Bars to play football. And not only did they, uh, not only did they lose James Daniels, but they lost another offensive series immediately afterwards because the aforementioned Vea just ate Bars's lunch for the, like the next three downs and cost them an offensive possession. It's it's tough in football. You lose a player like uh, like Indianapolis lost Darius Leonard last week. It's a big deal, and they've certainly felt that in their Cleveland game, but. We don't need to necessarily get into the rest of the NFL. At some point, I do want to ask, because y'all are much more defensively schooled than me, it looked like Chuck Pagano kept Tom Brady and Bruce Arians on their toes when it came to not only defensive calling, but defensive execution. What did y'all see from the Bears' defense? Yeah, I thought, obviously, the defense, it was a good game. Um, one thing of note, we talked about last week about Cleo Mack switching sides in – he had, obviously, a great game against worse, but I think what made the difference was him switching sides on obvious rundowns because they had such a problem run, getting ran on against the right side of their defense because you have that Goldman replacement and then you have Mingo. But switching, switching sides with Mac kind of lessens the blows, and I think that really made a difference. Obviously, obviously Evans being hurt, he was a little hobbled. But I think taking away some of their other options was a big, a big part of the game. Another thing that I've seen, to your point, uh, in terms of like 
what they were, what they, the bears were able to do. That was really impressive. Chuck Pagano seemed to switch to a defensive scheme or at least against the run. That's more about the linebackers fitting the holes that the bears defense can't fit anymore. Basically bears fans, what, what, what the bears defense used to do is that they used to have Goldman and Hicks each play two gaps. They, they do what would be called two gapping because sometimes football is pretty easy to understand. And what that meant is that Akeem Hicks would take on his guy or guys, and he had to cover both the running lane to his left and the running lane to his right. So he and Goldman combined for four covered running lanes. They tried to do this with Nichols and Roy Robertson Harris. And let's just say, as you saw against the lions and against the giants, it didn't work. So what they've started doing now is that Akeem Hicks still seems to be two gapping, but Bilal Nichols, it plays one gap, and so does Roy Robertson-Harris, and that has made Nichols into the best form of himself. He's playing pretty doggone good football, covering that gap as best he can. And what this has really meant is that it's all up to the linebackers, Roquan Smith and Danny Trevathan, to fill those lanes, because they used to just flow to wherever the problem was very creatively. Now they don't. They have assigned lanes. And the guy that I thought came through more than anybody was Danny Trevathan, who was all over the place. He was engaging linemen with force. Like Roquan Smith has a tendency to kind of get erased in the running game. Trevathan would not be denied. And there were a whole bunch of plays specifically on the ground because, I mean, you look at what Ronald Jones did against the Bears, spinning out of two very clean potential tackles for loss against Roquan, as well as a bunch of other plays. They could have done so much more damage had, believe it or not, Danny Trevathan not played the game that he did, consistently limiting runs to four yards, three yards, four yards. And against a coach like Bruce Arians, <laughs> that's not enough. And he's going to get impatient and he's going to start throwing the ball again. And that's all the Bears defense needs because they ultimately want to defend the pass. I don't know. Really impressive stuff from Chuck Pagano based on what I'm seeing. I think that's a great point about switching to more of one gapping and making Nichols's job a lot easier, but also making Trevathan's job a lot easier because what I thought he struggled with in week one was his processing speed was a little too slow, but when they move to just one gapping, that makes his, that makes his decision to just hit the gap and fill that gap a lot easier than deciding, deciding on, He's, he's seeing his defensive tackle two gapping and knowing which, which gap to hit. Instead, he, he doesn't have to think about it. He can just hit his gap. So kind of like you talked have... about back, uh, back against the, what was it, the Lions, where right. at one point we were talking about how Danny Trevathan gave up a 20-yard run to Adrian Peterson because mm-hmm. Peterson shimmied and got right. Trevathan into the wrong hole. Now Trevathan could have put a blindfold on and just go slam into a specific lane. And if the running back decides not to go there, that's not his problem, right, meaning exactly. that he can hit it with everything he's got. That makes total sense. Makes, it also makes life on a declining athleticism of a linebacker a lot easier. Like, and if we're on the topic of linebackers, you, gotta, you also got to point out the bad. Roquan, for as good as he was the previous two weeks, was not good this past week. He was, I think, fine would be the best word for him. But he overshot stuff. He, I think he missed two tackles when he had missed one the entire rest, the, the entire rest of the season. He just... I mean, it's not for lack of, like, pursuit or anything. He just – it's almost like he was too anxious or too ready for certain things and just overcommitted or oversold himself and didn't break down in the hole to make a tackle or whatever it might have been. He – I mean, he's still obviously developing, and we have to remember Roquan is still a young player. He was drafted very young out of college. So, games like this are to be expected, but, you know, call a spade a spade. And guys, let's step aside for a little bit. I'm Robert Schmitz. This is Danny Meehan and Brandon Robertson. We're going to make a little bit of space for our sponsors to get a word in. We will talk to you in just a second. Perfect, guys. Let's get back into it. So, Danny, you just criticized Roquan Smith, and I'm not trying to call you on anything. I want to make sure this lead-in just gets Mm -hmm. you a little on your seat for fun because it's fun to stress you out a little bit. Mm -hmm. But I I will just point out because this is – I think it goes without saying, but we should say it anyways. Just because you critique a player doesn't mean you think they're bad. Did you know Khalil Mack will have a bad game? 
And Allen Robinson, possible. he'll have a bad game. And if Roquan Smith had a bad game in this last weekend, you know what? He'll probably do better next week because that's the way that solid players tend to operate. Mm-hmm. And Roquan's been on – he's been the best form of himself. This mm-hmm. is the best consistent play that I've seen from Roquan Smith over the last bunch of years, and that's great because after two years, I tend to think to myself, okay, that player's probably kind of who they are you know, or at least they're getting there. He took a real step forward this year and he even had a nice play there in the first quarter where he came off of his assignment to annihilate Danny T's guy and dislodge the ball. And you're right outside of that. Like uh, I think he said in a post-game presser that Ronald Jones had never spun in his film sessions. I thought and- that was hilarious <laughs> because I've seen him spin so many times. And like, <laughs> Like Roquan, what like what film are we talking about? Because like I'm pretty sure I saw him break a tackle by spinning, like literally last week. <laughs> I guess I, I guess when what I'm saying things like this is, and I'm not saying you're criticizing me or anything. I I'm I think not. He, he was fine in comparison to what he did against Indy. Right. That's exactly. a, it's a stark difference where he did have his two missed tackles and he did overshoot his reads sometimes. Mm-hmm. It's again, it's not. For for him saying like oh he was terrible <laughs> he wasn't he was fine he mm-hmm. just wasn't indie Roquan which is kind of what I would like to see him be more consistently because I know he has it in him. Well, I think it's part of what we've talked about has been so great. What we've seen out of Roquan is just him playing so fast in the plays where you saw him miss tackles. He's playing it like he's so- overshooting it. Yeah, yeah, right. He's playing so incredibly fast that he gets a little ahead of, ahead of himself. Like he diagnosed that draw to Ronald Jones like as fast as you possibly can, and it was just like no one, no one else was ready to to take advantage of of what he did. Like he completely blew up the play, but there was just no one there, and his gap was just wide open because he missed a tackle. Credit to Jones. He probably personally, and you don't say this about running backs all that often, put about 10 extra points on the board because what would have been otherwise, I mean, basically a sack. We're talking four or five yard losses both times became pretty solid gains when he spun out of those uh, Roquan Smith tackles. I mean, to be fair, though, he's a really good running back. He, right. he showed... and, credit, and credit to him. Everybody was yeah. talking about him as a bust last year. Yeah. And it looks like he's, he's developing nicely. Yeah, he's mm-hmm. he's a good football player. Right. And you know what? While we're on the topic of guys who were just okay, I think it's worth talking about Jalen Johnson. He's one of our favorites on this show. I love Jalen Johnson. And Mike Evans taught him a couple of lessons that I don't think he's going to forget anytime soon. Like, kudos to Evans. Evans is one of the best receivers in the NFL. And on the reps where Johnson did the fake press thing where he gets up next to him and just tries to mirror him, he he got he ate his lunch. And then a couple of other reps as well, like zone reps, press reps, Evans was a terror when it came to his individual map, matchups with Johnson. And thank heavens Brady didn't look his way a couple times, and when he did – he missed him because in particular that third and 24 after penalty, after penalty, after penalty, when Evans beat Johnson straight down the field and could have had a walk-in touchdown, that was a rough one. And I'm really glad the ball went a little too far. So I'm curious, just cause I want to bring it up since we're still talking game plan and play calling and whatnot. I know we've heard from a number of people, whether it be in our personal lives or chats that were whatever it might be, the criticism of Negi for kicking the field goal and giving the ball back to Tom Brady for a minute and 20 seconds. I didn't By that mind. you mean criticism for, for throwing it on second down and having an incompletion. <clears throat> yes, I'm saying, but the overall, like, why are you giving the ball back to Tom Brady, you idiot? He's going to score, that kind of thing. Like, isn't it – and I, and maybe it's just because I want to believe that I'm thinking kind of the way coaches are thinking – when fans hear Tom Brady, they're thinking it's Tom freaking Brady. Not, not the current iteration of him. Not the guy who is, who is struggling some, at some, in some way, shape, or form. Not with seeing – he's always been one of the smartest quarterbacks you'd ever want to be around. He clearly sees what's in front of him. He just can't do what he used to do. And I brought this up last show. Isn't it entirely possible that when they kicked that football and they knew they were going to be giving them the ball back, that Tom that, – uh, that Negi and Pagano just kind of thought he can't do it anymore. I, 
I'm going to make him do it. If he thinks he, if we think he can do it, he can do it. Isn't it just entirely possible they don't believe he's that top three guy anymore and closer to the 16th or fifth, top 15? It's, I think it was. I think it was more of trying to put it in your best player's hands, like because the targets, the targets, both of the targets, second and third down, were both to Allen Robinson. They're trying to put the game away. They're trying to get a first down so Tom Brady can't get the ball back anymore. Because, like, I mean, honestly, okay, yeah. like you, you tell me that they're going to run the ball on second and third down. I'm telling you, they're probably not going to get a first down because you're you're playing into what the Bucks. You're probably not going to get a yard, the, guys. Let's be right. honest. <laughs> well, that also helps because Ndamukong Sue is a rhinoceros who moves people out of his way. But. Right, exactly. And then you take <laughs> you take away James Daniels, and you're playing Alex Bars, and who knows where he's been playing in practice, but he's rotated around a lot. So he's – honestly, I'll tell you right now, he's probably not ready to play left guard just at, right when he's called. Oh, yeah. And I mean, especially against Tampa Bay, who not only were they getting really solid play out of Ndamukong Sue and Vita Vea before he went down, but Willie Golston, one of their rotational defensive linemen, played a fabulous game on the edge. Uh, Jason Pierre-Paul is obviously exactly who he's billed to be. He played a great game. So like you're talking about, I mean, I don't have any problem going for the kill shot. One thing I've started realizing, because I, I do a lot of this, so we're recording today, me, Robert Schmitz, Danny Meehan, and Brady Robinson, on a Monday. This means that we just watched last night's game with the Vikings, who are now 1-4, and four, and the Seahawks. And I went over to the Daily Norseman, the SB Nation's uh, Minnesota Vikings affiliate. They hate Zimmer. And they can't believe that he went for it on that fourth down in inches. And Absolutely this is like Zimmer, but di- disagree <laughs> with disagree with that. I was glad that right. I wanted them to go for it. I thought they should have. There's nothing wrong. I, I'm, I don't even want to make a statement about Zimmer. The point is, is that what I found really interesting is that if you go and you look at all sorts of different fan bases, they're just as critical about their coaches as you are. And the, the series that I don't think is getting talked about. So bears fans are talking about second and 11. What in the world are you doing? Throwing the ball. What in the world did Bruce Arians do throwing it three times the series before straight into some perfect calls by Chuck Pagano, whatever they were planning on doing Pagano had them sussed out. And they got nothing and handed the Bears the ball back with two timeouts. All I'm trying to say here, they wanted the kill shot too. They wanted to put the game away. They wanted to put the game on ice, get that first down, start really milking that clock. And a lot of these pass-first coaches, like Bruce Arians, kind of figure that when you call a pass call, it's just as much a sure thing as the run. They don't plan for the ball to end up on the ground. You know, They, they don't make these calls – with the understanding that it could get tipped away. They say, we're going to make the play. We're a good offensive team. We're going to catch the ball. Matt Nagy says, I'm throwing a jump ball to Allen Robinson. He's going to catch it. So let's call that play. I mean, it doesn't work. It's kind of like the shooter shoot thing, you know, exactly. It's going in, it's going to happen. It's It's just a matter of when it's just a matter of trusting your shooter. And, Arians paid the price like he gave the ball back to the Bears in poor field position like I think the Bears got it around like what the 40 40. so they were like right on the doorstep of field goal range drove down got just enough yards kudos to Foles kudos to the offense they made the play but they had the extra time to give back to Brady because Arians left it all on the clock. And frankly, it was more aggressive than Nagy was, who called a quick short over the middle, like as a or as his third down call, and they were able to make a very easy lollipop throw. All I'm saying here is that I get being frustrated with your coach. There's a lot of teams that are frustrated with their coach because they want to win football games. And if you lose your football game, you got to blame somebody. And who are you going to blame? Tom Brady? Just because he forgot it down? Are you going to blame your defense, who's really, really good and lost their best player? Are you going to blame your injured receivers? Well, that doesn't seem very fair. Ronald Jones, who played a good game? you got to blame somebody. I, I guess it'll be Arians. And in the Bears' case, I, I think you guys will agree with this. I won't be shocked if Nagy has the opportunity to redeem himself because he's got a whole bunch of games throughout the rest of the season. And frankly, we could start getting into the preview whenever you all want to. I was going to say this- – this game I'm against excited. Carolina is a proving ground. Yeah, yeah I, I, definitely. I've is. been talking to you behind uh, closed doors that I think the Panthers are one of the biggest sleeper teams in in the league. Like 
they got blown out week one. They struggled against the Bucks, but these last three games, they've been playing about just as good as ball as anybody else. Like they played really well against the Chargers, pulled that one out. They beat the Falcons pretty handedly yesterday. I just I just think they're they're trending in the right direction on both sides of the football. And Teddy Bridgewater is good at football. Right. Mm-hmm. But Teddy I, Two Gloves. Teddy Two Gloves, Teddy Bowl game, Teddy, aka whatever moniker you want to give him. Uh Teddy Bowl game. I, I forgot about that. Teddy nickname. Bowl game. Uh, Let's go. Uh, <laughs> I, I, that's the so, Louisville fan in me coming out. So leave me so alone. So getting into this quick preview, what I'm hoping for is that this matchup. Because I think that it's trouble, right? So let's go back all the way, as weird as it sounds, to 2018's game where Philadelphia matched up against the Bears and ultimately the Eagles lost, or like they, they beat the Bears in the playoffs. It's one of those weird matchups when you looked at Philly and Chicago where you said Foles gets the ball out quickly, but when he doesn't, he gets hit real hard and real easy, and that's the best way to rough him up. We have a really good pass rush, so this could go one of two ways, really well or really badly. And the Panthers kind of reminds me of that on offense. Teddy Two Gloves, for as good as he is, and he is really good, tends to keep the ball short. We've heard that before. And the Bears defensive backs would prefer that you keep the ball short. They don't, or it seems as if teams do better against them trying to outmuscle them down the field than they do trying to beat them in like a yak contest or a I'm going to beat you after the catch. Buster Screen has made some fabulous open field tackles this year, as has Kyle Fuller, who had one of the more beautiful fumble dislodgings I've ever seen. And that'll be on highlight reels that's, forever. That's in the pantheon of great bear hits ever, especially when you account for the era in which we play in where you are you're essentially trying to hit a strike zone like a pitcher as a as a defender you can only hit from here to here that was a hilariously bad play design by tampa bay i don't know if (laughs) y'all saw what i saw but kyle fuller's route was over a solid two seconds before brady distributed the ball and fuller basically got bored and found somebody else to cover lo and behold he teed up that running back with time to spare but any, but yeah, I mean, I keep asking myself, do I really think that Robbie Anderson's going to shake loose of Eddie Jackson, Kyle Fuller, and Jalen Johnson? The answer is maybe. <laughs> Robbie's a really good receiver. And very fast. But I think I've, I'm hopeful that this Bears defense can fence them in and, and this is the big one, right? That the Bears offense can come out and execute against a defense that hasn't found its footing yet. And maybe they found it against Atlanta, but Atlanta's a team in a tailspin. They're, they're a bad football team. And when they came out and with a good offense, hung 20 points against a team in a tailspin, which is less than the Bears did with two quarterbacks on that kind of day, it makes you wonder whether this offense or like which team basically is going to ultimately produce more. And I don't know, but it should be a lot more fun than a Thursday night slug match. And that's what we're real here for, right? And the other thing I kind of want to point out is, Yes, McCaffrey probably isn't going to play, if I had to guess, just because why rush back your multi-multi-multi-million-dollar running back from this injury? But it's worth noting when you're not forced to feel like you're forced to feel like you need to feed McCaffrey, the ball is going places. Like, it's being spread around and not just being given to McCaffrey. Joe Brady is proving to be a capable offensive mind in the NFL, if not a good offensive mind in the NFL. When every, wasn't that the big like, worry that when Rule brought him with or brought him to the NFL? Like, oh, how is this college guy going to translate to the NFL level? Well, the worry was every single one of his coaches that he brought along. They brought all, all college kids. Play. Yeah, they're all college they're like kids. All new NFL guys. And they're dancing on people. Like they are styling on people from a schematic perspective. These game plans they're putting together, credit to them. They are to a T what Teddy Bridgewater does well. They got him a bunch of guys that can take the ball short and in stride and make huge plays with it in DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson. And they're just Curtis. smoking. Like that offense is way better than a lot of people have given it credit for. And the fact that it's finally in the top 10 in DVOA, which is a right where it should be, like kudos to them. They've earned it. It will be a test for our defense, and our offense will have to score with them. You know what I mean? You're going to have to score. You're, you don't In 2020's NFL, you don't keep offenses off the scoreboard. 
You can bend, don't break, which is exactly what the Bears are doing. They're bending, they're not breaking. And we're also burying the lead. We have Mike Davis revenge game this weekend, fellas. Do oh we have to my talk about that? God. Yes, we do. He's coming <laughs> back. Mike Davis. Mike Davis. Mike Davis was always a toolsy running back. Like, he's got all the tools. His big issue for years, I said this based on his Seahawks tape and the Bears tape was kind of similar, but it doesn't really count. We'll get there. Is he had like a great spin move, a good juke move. He could run with power, but he tended to pick the wrong tool for the for the right situation. So, well, if, I think one of the one of the problems was like last year they were running inside zone so much, and that's just not what he does well. Like with the Seahawks, it was when they were running outside zone, and so he had some of those plays where he was able to put that together. And now he's running with Carolina, and they're running so many so much different stuff to put him in space and he's just breaking tackles. I think he's, he's breaking tackles at the highest rate in the NFL right now. And <laughs> I, I just like, I'm happy just for the person because I mean, it seemed like he was such a, he was such a good guy that was never put in the right opportunity right. to shine. And now he's able to do that. And then he's going to lose his job in a couple of weeks when C-Mac comes back. He, he will, but he's on a, he's on a one-year deal. So I'm, maybe he gets paid during the off season. Bring him back. Hey, those those are exactly the kinds of stories you want in the NFL, right? right like exactly. it's, it's the anti-Dak, unfortunately, where a player is betting on himself and now he's playing really well. It It's going to be a wild game because what I feel like is sort of understated here is that the last two offenses that have played the Panthers, and you guys are ultimately going to have a better idea of this than I am because, again, I think you guys know defense better. But Arizona woefully underperformed against Carolina. And then the Falcons played a pretty pitiful measure too. DVOA still has these guys listed as one of the worst defenses in football. So please tell me what in the world's going on and how did they put up two pretty stalwart defensive performances in the last two weeks? I think it's a combination of they're doing things a lot of people aren't doing. Like They have a very unique talent and a guy I loved coming out of my alma mater, Go Dogs, Southern Illinois University. Jeremy Chin's a weird player to play against. He's I did not know that's where he went to college till now. <laughs> um because you clearly don't like the NFL draft, Brandon. <laughs> Face. All right. I'll say division two. Guys. Division one A. Get it right. Is that a thing? <laughs> yeah. Don't kidding. disrespect my school. <laughs> but it's it's just one of those things. Like he was a specimen at Southern. And he was this he was more ball of clay than he was anything. And to this to this point, from what I've seen in the, in the Carolina film, he's still kind of just this raw ball of clay. But when you're 6'3, 225, 230 pounds, and you're running a 4440, and you're that big, that strong, that fast, by accident you're gonna make plays because you're just a freak. He's so not kind of like it's kind of like the uh, Julius Peppers thing. Like super athlete, and it's just a that's actually of a really him good into a defense. Like, like, yeah, I guess you could say he's got like he's just the he's literally. I think if you were to go back and look at all his measurements in the comparison of all safeties in this draft, the only one that came close to him was Duggar from Lamar Lenoir Ryan or whatever college that was. And they're two just one. I think Duggar's twenty three. The only that's the only reason I wouldn't take. I would have not put him over Chin. That's literally it. Other than that, it's just you're talking specimens. Genius. You're damn right. <laughs> <laughs> and Brandon, were you telling me that they run some kind of funky coverage that they're still kind of sinking their teeth into? Yeah, I mean, you're seeing you're seeing a lot of tight fronts in college, which means what is a tight just, front? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> which means there's just there's three interior defenders, and they have a bunch of apex defenders which just means they have, they have second-level coverage defenders, and that's what you're getting out of Jeremy Chin, is you're getting – he's like a safety nickel hybrid guy, and you, you don't really have that that much in the NFL. And so they're, they're allowing him to do what he does best, which you're not seeing the Cardinals do out of their first-round pick, Isaiah Simmons. So it's just – it's so awesome to see that. And they're running a lot of three safety looks, which is what also you do not see in the NFL. And they're having success with it. So I wonder, it'll be interesting to see what Matt Nagy does in his game plan against coverages. Well, 
more personnel usage that you don't really see in the NFL. I kind of wonder if this is like the next incarnation of what we're seeing. Like we saw the Rams bring Barron down to linebacker because he was just this rocked out strong safety. Couldn't cover all that well, but for a linebacker, he covers well. And now he's doing this. And then you saw the, the Cardinals do it to some fashion with Dayon Buchanan, who was really just an undersized spark plug who was given it everything he had on every hit. Yeah, Brandon? I love that. I love that you brought that up because you're that's that's what you've seen around the league is you see it's like the next it's like the next thing hold on let me get to it yeah but they don't the thing is when they're asked to play inside and read offensive line it doesn't work out because they've not they haven't done it their whole lives linebackers are are used to doing that their entire lives Mm -hmm. but what they can do is they can be these the apex second level coverage defenders and it works out. And I just – I think that's what, what, the, what the Cardinals and mm-hmm. what the Rams should have done with those type of guys is they should have used them in those ways. So it's so awesome to see the Panthers using Jeremy Chin in the right way. Yeah, and you know, it's really interesting you talk about that, Brandon, because you make it sound like teams nowadays are starting to pick different gives and takes. There used to be sort of an established way of doing things, that your right. running back – was your running back, for instance. And if he was a little slow, that's too bad. You're just going to have to block for a little bit longer. And now the Bears are, for instance, using Cordell Patterson, where the give that they're giving isn't speed. If you get him in the right hole, best case scenario, and it's going to be a knockout punch. We haven't seen it yet in Chicago. I'm sure it's going to happen, but his route running ability is better than a bad running back th- or a bad running back at route running. His catching ability, definitely up there. He's, he's like, if he's a bad wide receiver, he's a pretty doggone good running back in terms of receiving and actually running the football. But his vision, that part, because he hasn't been doing it his whole life, is really lacking. And to hear that defenses are treating different things the same way, where it's like, hey, come play linebacker. Well, how do I play inside? Uh, I don't know. Figure it out. And right. that's the give and the take that they're giving, well, basically saying the running game is less important than the passing game. And if you handle your passing assignment and screw up the running stuff, we will live and die by it. And that's well, all right with us. And it's, it's interesting that when you say it like that, because we're – the NBA is, is, for instance, now known for positionless. Mm-hmm. We're slowly coming to that part of the NFL. It's, it's a much slower transition because at the end of the day, you still need big fat fatties to take up space and whatever. But I always heard them called hogs. You guys say big fat fatties all the time, but <laughs> I always heard. That, I mean, maybe this is just a Texanism. I always heard the big old hogs up front. Gonna go, that's, that's, gonna a, go that's, a, that's a southern. That's a that's southern, a southern <laughs> thing. We're Midwesterners, so you know, we we don't we don't we just have different ways of saying things. But it also comes down to almost a coaching thing. It used to be the very archaic way of coaching. I'm sure B can speak to this as well. Is it used to be? Tell me what he can't do. I'm going to fix it. Now it's saying, what can he do? Let me extort what he can do, and I'm going to make him the best version of himself. If you have a linebacker like Roquan, for instance, who really is more of a safety build. He's, not, he's just like kind of a rocked-out safety. He's not terribly large. If you say, well, I can't draft him because he can't stack, shed, and fill a gap. What can he do? Well, he can cover any, any tight end. He can cover any running back coming out of the backfield because he's hyper-athletically fast, and he can keep up with anyone in space. But, it, it's, but that's not what we're looking at because it's the modern way of coaching. What can some guy do very well? Instead of, well, I need to make him be able I need to – he needs to fit this predetermined mold. It's why Belichick has been so good because he's never had a rigid scheme. His scheme changes with what he's got. <laughs> I, I only laugh because you're totally right on defense and on offense. His scheme is so stable and he gets talked about for all the adjustments he makes while Brady would continue and cam now to run about 50% out of shotgun, about 50% under center play action, hand it to Rex Burkhead as, as adaptable as their defense is. And it's amazing. Belichick is one of the best, like he's practically a necromancer as a defensive coordinator in that he will make the dead alive by the end of the season. And on offense, they're more stable than people realize. I think they are, but I would agree with that assessment. The only thing I do remember, and I remember wondering when he started doing it, 
why more NFL teams didn't do it. Because like you said, he's always been about 50-50 run pass out of the shotgun. When they instituted the the hurry-up run game out of the shotgun, when Brady's arm really started to decline, and they had just the, like it was like when they had Ben Jarvis, Green Ellis, and I forget the other running backs in that backfield, but they just started – and they even started utilizing Aaron Hernandez as a running back fullback hybrid where they would just – Here's the ball. Run forward. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, like, what are they doing in New England? Like, they're doing what they've always done. They're just mm-hmm. beating it up on you and saying, let's play. Yep. But, you know, I just realized that we've been off on this awesome football tangent. <laughs> Me, Robert Schmitz, Danny Meehan, and Brandon Robinson. Let's get back to the Bears and let's close up shop because I believe in us. We can do it. We can talk about football for hours and hours. I'm sure we're going to. But <laughs> – if there's – let's give something you're excited about, something you're worried about, and we'll call it, like, pick the winner. You can pick the score if you want. That's not really important. I hate score picking because football's too random. And if somebody comes out and nobody can hold on to the ball, everybody fumbles a lot, the score changes. You get the idea. If there's something I'm excited about, it's that the Bears really are starting to figure out what they actually want to do, and they're hammering those details in. You could even see it in the second half. Dave Montgomery did something he's never done before in this season. He actually ran the ball outside on outside zone. You could clearly tell that the coaches were in his ear because he cuts every run up the middle that on outside zone, you go outside, David. And there's nothing wrong with that. He was making headway up the middle, but it looked like smart reads instead of this is what you do all the time. And it became a little clearer over the last two weeks that it's just what he's doing and he needs to run the play as it's designed. This emphasis on the details has me excited because Carolina doesn't rush the passer all that well. And for a quarterback like Nick Foles, that when he does have time, he can make plays like we saw against Tampa Bay when he looked at that, uh, what is it? It's that all four go play that they ran where Ryan Nall got into a ton of space and then, uh, and then Foles didn't like what he saw, so he just rolled out to the right and found Jimmy Graham and sniped him along the sidelines because when you give Foles enough time to scan the field with nobody pressuring him, he will find somebody. It's just a matter of somebody shaking loose. I look at this as a game that, sure, the defensive side of the ball, I'll get to that in a second, but the offensive side of the ball, this is as good of a test game as I think that they're going to get. We're going to see what Nagy can do against this weird three-safety front. We're going to be able to probably get a good test of not only what the Bears can handle, but what the Panthers can handle, still installing this unusual scheme. It's not as easy as going from a cover-two defense to a cover-two defense for the personnel. And I think that the Bears should have one of their better opportunities to score here this game instead of against the Rams or against the Saints. So I'm excited about that. Defensively, I think this Panthers team is pretty good. And I frankly would tell you to your face that I think it's a better offense than the Rams have, even though those callers uh, like Sean McVay, really smart caller. And I like a lot of what the Rams can do, but they're a little more traditional than this Panthers team. That's just going to slice you open very little. It's not a thousand cuts. It's close to like a hundred, but they will take all those underneath options and they are really setting their players up well as they do things in an unorthodox manner. This is a game that I think I'm not going to say the bears need to win it, but they need to win one of the next three. And this is their best shot at doing so. And their defense might have the floor fall out from under them. I do have the Bears. I think it'll be tight. But I'm also counting on improvement. And given that we're going into Carolina, you can never tell what your team's going to look like when they go on the road. So if we see the best form of themselves, I think they win. But it's a tighter game than it looked like six weeks ago. I would, I would tend to agree with that. I'm, the, I, I, I'm, I'm excited for the Bears because I think – as much as I did harp last week on Montgomery and how I think his ceiling is very much limited, I still think he can be a very good running back in this league who just has that cap of where he doesn't – his ceiling is only so high because he can't, he's not fast. He's not explosive. I think that uh, – but I, that being said, I also think he's a guy that gets better as the defense gets tired, where he gets more touches and more touches, and this contact balance, the feet that you see, that he's going to eventually – eventually it's going to happen where the Bears have a lead. Call it four or five points, and they're just trying to salt away the clock in the second half. Eventually he's going to touch the ball 20, 25 times in a game. And Matt Nagy's going to think he invented fire 
Like, oh my God, he can do that? Like, and obviously in today's NFL, there's very seldom offenses that give one running back 20, 25 touches unless they're ahead and they're trying to salt away the game. But it's something I think we could be in for, especially given that they are still playing with almost like an experimental defense at this level. And it's something I'm excited for. I'm also excited for something on the Panther side, as I've alluded to or even just said in the show, I am a Louisville Cardinal football fan. I had Teddy Bridgewater as the number one quarterback in his draft class the year he came out. I want to see Teddy Bridgewater for a full game play against my favorite team. It's my favorite quarterback against my, one of my favorite quarterbacks against my favorite team. And it could get ugly. Like, like Robert was just saying, this isn't a, like a, a joke offense. This is a real damn offense that's coming here to put up points and are coming to the stadium to put up points. So there's that. And defensively, it's going to be similar to the, the Brady rivers thing. He gets the ball out fast. He's not sitting back there waiting the ball's coming out. He reads fast. He, he develops his he develops what he sees in front of him fast. Ball's gone. So what's so, your prediction? Why do you hate the Bears? Why do I hate the Bears? <laughs> yeah, why do you hate the Bears, Danny? I, I hate the Bears because I hate you guys. That's it. That. <laughs> I knew it was coming down to Who's that. Who's winning? Who's winning, Who's Danny? Winning? We're not going to let I, you I'll off s- this hook. I'll still say the Bears win. I don't know a score, but it's. I think it's going to be closer than people think. Like you, though, at – to steal your words exactly, Robert, you need one of the next three. And what better way to steal one against an NFC opponent and keep right, Brandon, those conference wins? Pour on the cold water. I can feel it coming. <laughs> it's coming, isn't it? <laughs> well, I'll, I'll say this. I hate Joe, just so everybody knows, the Panthers are three-point favorites going into this game. So, the, like, the Panthers are the – it might feel like the Bears should just – roll over the Panthers, but like Vegas is saying that the Panthers are a better football team. That's, that's just what I want to get like right out of the bat. But I, I, I just, I just think that the bears are really going to struggle against these yak guys and DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson, because like, I, I know I said, I've said before, I do not care about DB's tackling. They have to tackle in this game because that's exactly what the Panthers You're do. You're going so well. off brand. Stop they, going off brand. I will go completely. Those teams off don't work brand. like this. <laughs> they, <laughs> they have they have to tackle. And I just I just don't see that happening. So I think it's gonna be like a 31-20 game where the Bears offense just can't keep up. I I hope they they develop more, they run some more RPOs and everything else. But I I just I don't see that happening. I, I think they're gonna struggle to keep up and that's gonna be the score. I will say, just to jump in that I, I do think Vegas and using Vegas, there's nothing wrong with it. Vegas is smart. They literally have money that matters on the line. So anybody <laughs> with that situation is going to do their best. But I think one of the complicated things about this Bears team is that there's so much upheaval in terms of what's happening on offense. Matt Nagy, West Coast offensive mind, is finally getting a West Coast quarterback. And now, I mean, it's very clear the ceiling and the floor and just how wide those two are that I don't know how I'd project the Bears either because if their offense stayed consistent from what we saw in Tampa – going forward i mean this is a pretty bad football team all things told not like mega bad i don't hate the bears i'm more saying that this Robert bears hates the bears confirmed you knew it was coming oh my god I, this bears defense is not 2018 good it's pretty doggone good it's very good and if you give it a lead it may even be great but it needs a complimentary offense it it has i thought that they could get away with an average offense they need an average offense to keep this ship stable and you can legitimately hope for more improvement from Foles and the Bears, I think, than you can from, say, Carson Wentz and the Eagles squad, where it's like that's their entrenched quarterback in their entrenched system. Like they're going to have to figure new stuff out to find points because they're not even trying to get to where they want to be. What they, where they want to be isn't working. And it's, it's a little different. But I'm right there with you that this is a good Panthers team. Scared, and frankly, after Thursday, even if we lose, I will survive. I can't speak for y'all. But I think that's about as good a show as we're going to get, guys. This is great stuff so far. It's going to be a good game, I think, regardless. Mm -hmm. Either way, it should be fun football, and it'll be a little less stressful than playing the Rams or the Saints. But at this point, guys, 
I think we've said about all we can say. It's just a matter of letting the football happen. So I'm Robert Schmitz. You can find me on Twitter at Robert K. Schmitz. Danny, where can they find you? I can be found on the Twitter thing at DanMean90, M-E-E-H-A-N as in Nicholas, the numerals 9-0. How about you, B? Where are you at? I'm at NFL, posting a lot of player props. Doing pretty well, making Danny some money. We're hoping to Hell keep that coming yeah. up. Yeah, we winning tonight, man. Heck yeah. Wish gambling was legal in Texas. It isn't. Guys, it's actually pronounced Tejas. Excuse All me. Right. All right, pal. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> let the guy who hates the Bears wants to talk some more. Anyways, uh, guys, it's been awesome. We will come at you guys next week as soon as the film is released. And until then, see you guys later. Have a great one.